Welcome to journeywithjesus.net, a weekly webzine for the global church. I'm Debbie Thomas. My essay this week is entitled, Astounded. It's based upon the lectionary readings for January 31st, 2021. Two lines in this week's gospel reading stand out to me. Both refer to the people who encountered Jesus' Sabbath teaching in the synagogue. Quote, They were astounded at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority. End quote. And, quote, They were all amazed and kept asking one another, What is this? End quote. They were astounded. They were amazed. Can you relate? When was the last time Jesus astounded and amazed you? Can you recall a time in the recent past when the presence of God in your life caught your attention and held it? When a sacred moment, encounter, word, image, or experience brought you to your knees? I ask because, let's face it, these are rough, unlikely days for astonishment. Almost one year into the COVID-19 pandemic, many of us are battling a deep and persistent malaise. We are weary, anxious, dejected, bored. We're too worried about the future to live attentively in the present. Time drags on in soggy shapelessness or flies at breakneck speed as we struggle to multitask under face masks, death tolls, mutations, and quarantines. For many of us, church is still online, so our access to spiritual community, space, ritual, and sacrament is limited. Where, in the midst of all of this, might we experience awe, wonder, astonishment, surprise? Where is the voice of authority, power, grace, and healing that can snap us back into full and vibrant living now? Fighting my own sense of malaise, I spent the last few days trying to enter into the characters who populate the story St. Mark offers us in this week's lectionary. I imagined myself by turns as a member of the audience who heard Jesus speak, as the man possessed by the unclean spirit, and finally, as Jesus himself. Specifically, I imagined my way into these roles in an attempt to recover some of the original wonder that animated this ancient story. If I had been there that day, if I had experienced the particular Sabbath when Jesus astounded his listeners in a synagogue in Capernaum, what would I have thought and felt? Here are some of what I came up with. The congregants. We don't know their names, ages, or backstories. All we know is that they showed up in the synagogue, listened to Jesus Jesus teach, and allowed his words to penetrate to a place of freshness newness, and transformation. The implication, of course, is that these worshippers came to the synagogue in a spirit of curiosity and openness. Alongside whatever sense of responsibility, tradition, and habit compelled them to show up that day, they also held on to the possibility of surprise, of encounter, of trust that God might show up and do something different, and even shocking. Do we approach God, scripture, church, and faith in this way? With anticipation? With a hunger for encounter? Or have we allowed the trials of this past year to make us cynical? 
However we worship these days, over Zoom, via YouTube, on Facebook, in person, do we come before God and God's people, desiring and expecting the shock of actual divine presence? If not, why not? Many of us live in cultures that are deeply and perhaps rightfully skeptical of authoritative religious claims. Many of us have good reasons to be jaded when it comes to hearing God's word, as we have been hurt by authority figures we trusted. How, given these realities, can we still leave room for Jesus to show up and surprise us? How can we make sure we're not so entrenched in our theological, liturgical, cultural, or political points of view that we fear and resist the new? These are especially hard questions to ask if we've been Christians for a long time. The new becomes old, the fresh becomes familiar, the heart hunkers down for a comfortable and unvarying long haul, and we forget that Jesus came and comes to make all things new. The audience in Mark's gospel was amazed and astounded by the work of God because they allowed Jesus to be unfamiliar in their midst. This need not be the anomaly. In fact, it shouldn't be. Jesus will be amazing if we allow him to be. Amazement is the birthright of God's children. The Man with the Unclean Spirit I'll get the obvious out of the way first and admit that I have no idea what the spirit in the story actually is. Some commentaries recast it as a mental illness or as a medical condition like epilepsy. Others insist on it being an actual demon, a malevolent spiritual being that ensnares human souls. Still others argue that spirit in the New Testament are metaphors for anything that might possess or control us. Anger, fear, lust, greed, hatred, envy, etc. I don't know which one of these explanations is true, and I don't think it matters. When I tried to imagine my way into the life of the man with the unclean spirit, what disturbed me most was not who or what the spirit actually was, but how utterly it ravaged the poor man whose body and mind it possessed. According to Mark's account, the man had no voice of his own. The spirit spoke for him. The man had no control over his body. The spirit convulsed him. The man had no community. The spirit isolated him, and the man had no dignity. The spirit dehumanized him. Granted, this picture of possession is extreme, but all of us suffer or have suffered under the bondage of spirits that diminish, distort, and wound us. All of us know or have known what it's like to lose agency, mobility, and dignity to forces too powerful for us to defeat on our own. Some of us might even name the current pandemic and its global effects as just such a demon, a huge, powerful force that robs us of life, of loved ones, of community, of safety. Whether we regard such forces as spiritual, psychological, biological, metaphorical, or cultural, this gospel story tells us true things about how unclean spirits affect and manipulate our souls. In Mark's story, the unclean spirit goes to the synagogue and listens to Jesus. It recognizes the Holy One of God before anyone else does. It calculates the stakes, realizes that Jesus' presence signals its doom, and puts up a loud, vicious fight before it surrenders. Does any of this sound familiar? Sometimes our unclean spirits take up residence in our holy places. That is, we carry our destructive habits and tendencies right into our churches, our friendships, our families, and our workplaces. 
Sometimes our demons, our fears, our addictions, our sins, and our compulsions recognize Jesus first because they know that an encounter with him will change everything. So they make us recoil as soon as he shows up in the guise of a loving friend or a provocative sermon or a pricked conscience. Sometimes our lives actually get harder when we move towards faith and healing because unclean spirits always fight the hardest when their time is up. In this season of pandemic and loss, what possesses us? What wreaks havoc in our hearts and minds? What distorts our humanity? These forces might not leave our lives without a fight, but the Jesus of Mark's gospel will do battle for us if we'll let him. Will we? Jesus. Mark never tells us what Jesus taught his audience that day. All we know is that he entered the synagogue, taught with an authority his listeners found astonishing, and underscored that authority with an exorcism that rattled everyone who witnessed it. Is this a character we can relate to at all? Or is Jesus' role in the story so completely enshrined in his divinity and power that there's nothing for us to emulate? I think the story offers a couple of plausible takeaways. First, Jesus didn't use his authority to self-aggrandize or to accrue power. He used it only to heal, to free, to serve, and to empower those around him. Maybe this is precisely why his audience found him so compelling. His was the authority of a servant king. He had no political power and sought none, no earthly throne or kingdom to speak of, but he had an integrity and a generosity that compelled people to listen and to follow him. Second, Jesus stepped directly into the pain, rage, ugliness, and horror at the heart of this story. He wasn't squeamish. He didn't flinch. His brand of holiness didn't require him to keep his hands clean. He was in the fear, in the sickness, in the nightmare, ready to engage anything that diminished the lives of those he loved. Yes, he preached with great effectiveness to the faithful, but he also spoke the unclean spirit's language, listened to its cries, and rebuked it for the sake of a broken man's health and sanity. Consider the question the spirit asked before it left its victim. What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? There is only one answer to that question. Everything. I have everything to do with you. Wherever pain is, darkness is, torment is, God is. God has everything to do with us, even and maybe especially when we are at our worst. When the shadows overwhelm us, when the demons shriek the loudest, when the hope of liberation feels like nothing more than fantasy, that is when Jesus' authority brings the walls down. In this difficult pandemic season we're all walking through, I pray that we can recover a capacity for holy amazement. I pray that like the man with the unclean spirit, we will surrender to freedom when Jesus offers it to us, even if the exit of our demons causes us hardship. And I pray that like Jesus, we will speak words of loving, healing authority to a world that longs for an astonishing encounter with the divine. For books this week, Dan reviews African-American Poetry, 250 Years of Struggle and Song, edited by Kevin Young. Monumental and rapturous, indispensable, the most ambitious volume of its kind, a landmark literary event, a historic achievement. 
These are just a few examples of the effusive praise for this anthology of poetry collected by Kevin Young of the New York Public Library. The project took Young six years. The book was on at least a dozen Best of 2020 lists, including the single Best Book of the Year by Esquire. After a 20-page introduction, Young organizes this trove of 250 authors and 670 poems into eight chronological sections. Except for the first section, that it by necessity is chronological, the poets in the other seven sections appear alphabetically. He begins with Phyllis Wheatley, whose first and only book of poetry, a compilation of 39 poems, was entitled Poems on Various Subjects, Religious and Moral, and published in London before the founding of the United States. Wheatley was the first African-American to publish a book of poetry and the first woman of any race to publish a book in America. He includes well-known luminaries like Maya Angelou, Paul Beatty, W.E.B. Du Bois, Marilyn Nelson, Alice Walker, and Richard Wright. Langston Hughes and Gwendolyn Brooks, 16 poems each, were the most represented poets. The vast majority of the poets and poems, though, are selections that will be new to almost all readers except the experts, and that might be the volume's most important contribution. Movements like the Harlem Renaissance and historical events like the murder of Emmett Till fill the volume. The book concludes with four appendices, biographical notes, notes on the texts, footnotes, and then an index of poets, titles, and first lines. Young's collection is far and away the single best book of its kind. A close cousin, but limited to the contemporary period, is the volume by Charles Henry Rowell, editor of Angles of Descent, a Nor Norton anthology of contemporary African-American poetry, which collects 300 poems by 86 authors. For films this week, Dan reviews A Hidden Life. Terence Malick's newest film marks a radical departure from his previous work. A Hidden Life was nominated for the Palme d'Or of the 2019 Cannes Film Festival. And for those who have long wondered whether the famously private Malick is a Christian, A Hidden Life will provide more grist for the mill. Malick's recent trilogy of films explore the lives of what you might call Hollywood hipsters. These people are young, attractive, wealthy, and decidedly secular. Their lives look fun. They make your own life feel dull and boring, and you almost envy them. In Night of Cups, a self-indulgent L.A. screenwriter drifts through the movie, staring into space and searching for some meaning. Song to Song follows two couples in Austin, Texas, who specialize in hedonistic excess. In To the Wonder, Javier Bardem plays a priest who struggles with all the pain, sorrow, and degradation that he observes, quote, All I see is failure, destruction, and ruin, close quote. A Hidden Life depicts the improbable witness of one of the most courageous Christians that you've never heard of, a peasant farmer from Austria with an eighth-grade education. Franz Jägerstadter openly protested the Nazis. He was arrested and imprisoned as a conscientious objector, accused of undermining the military morale, and sentenced to death in a military trial. On August 9, 1943, Jägerstadter was executed by guillotine at the age of 36. In telling Jaeger's daughter's story, Malik is just warming up to his task. He is already shooting his next film. It's called The Last Planet, and it tells the story of Jesus in a series of parables. And lastly, for poetry this week, Now I Become Myself by May Sarton. Now I Become Myself. 
It's taken time. Many years and places I have been dissolved and shaken, worn other people's faces, run madly as if time were there, terribly old, crying a warning. Hurry, you'll be dead before... What? Before you reach the morning? Or the end of the poem is clear, or love safe in the walled city? Now to stand still, to be here, feel my own weight and density. The black shadow on the paper is my hand, the shadow of a word as thought shapes the shaper, falls heavy on the page, is heard. All fuses now, falls into place from wish to action, word to silence. My work, my love, my time, my face, gathered into one intense gesture of growing like a plant. As slowly as the ripening fruit, fertile, detached, and always spent, falls, but does not exhaust the root. So all the poem is, can give, grows in me to become the song, made so and rooted so by love. Now there is time and time is young. Oh, in this single hour I love all of myself and do not move. I, the pursued who madly ran, stand still, stand still and stop the sun. Thank you for joining us at journeywithjesus.net for January 31st, 2021. I'm Debbie Thomas.